All right, guys. Hey, we're back with another episode of Robert Hamilton Owens on the JK Experience. And uh, I got to tell you, you, you were blown away the first time. And I and I know this was really enthralled and you were just ecstatic about getting another opportunity to listen to uh, this amazing man and his feats and the things that he's overcome. Uh, this one, I'm super excited because we dive deep into some stories that as much as I've researched him, as much as I've listened to him uh, on other podcasts and other venues, he opened up on some stories that I have yet to hear. And you are going to be moved. You are going to be empowered. And you are going to be excited to understand the things that Robert had to go through, that he was able to go through and able to come on the other side. And I know it's going to empower you uh, to excel in your life as well. So uh, without further ado, you guys, I want to give you part two of my conversation with Mr. Robert Hamilton Owens. You know, one of the things that I have really just enjoyed learning about you through um, the podcast and your book and, and the uh, uh, Facebooks that you've been posting, the videos, uh, it reminds me, I have a really great friend that is a ranger. He was active duty for 20 years, and uh, he helps run uh, Kingsman with me. And one thing that I uh, have, have really noticed that the both of you have that I absolutely admire and, and respect and love is your calmness and chaos. And... And I know, of course, obviously, that's just because of your experience and everything that you've gone through to earn that and to discover that about you. I'm curious, because of your past, um, well, you know, and, and a lot of people know this because of our, the intro to you, uh, you know, it wasn't that way. It was, it was very, it was, you had a very hard childhood. You had some really tragic things happen to you. And of course, you, 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 the, what you admitted about alcohol and how you were using that to, um, uh, to, to get away from the emotions of everything, you go into the military did you, what were the defining moments for you to not break necessarily, but more of like discover this person, this man that you wanted to become? Were there, were there moments that you literally were saying, okay, I am no longer that person anymore because that person no longer serves who I want to be? You know, I probably ought to back up just a, a moment from and, and reiterate what you've heard before. Um, you know, being adopted mm-hmm. and having your best friend come up and say to you in third grade, did you know that you're a mistake? Yeah. And I said, I'm not a mistake. The guy goes, yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. And I, and I go home and say to my mom, Hey mom, am I a mistake yeah. being adopted from hospital right down here about 20 miles? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, she said, no, we chose you. Yeah. His parents got stuck with him. Go mm-hmm. tell him. And, but at that thing, um, the first memory I have of my life, the first memory that I can, is where I remember sitting on the side of a hill and my mom and dad were having a picnic and um, they pulled out the basket and they laid the big blanket on this tall green grass that was blowing with sort of this breeze like here, you know, and it was idyllic thing, there's blue clouds overhead and it's wispy this and they sit down and my sister's there and she's adopted too, mm-hmm. four years older than me. And, and then they, we have some sort of thing. I'm hungry. Feed me. I was, I think maybe four years old. And what's funny is when my dad died, I went through a bunch of stuff and lo and behold, I found a picture of that day, mm-hmm. which was a bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting on that, that blanket. And then my mom and dad said, well, we have something we want to talk to you about. I said, great. What's for lunch? You know? <laughs> and they said, uh, we want you to know that we love you. We, 
we adopted you. I said, what's adopting? Well, you were in this place down here with a hundred other babies and we went down and got you. I remember just stopping. Where's my mom and dad? And they just, I remember looking at mom. I usually looked at my mom. She was, she was more sweet. <laughs> and I, mom, where, where's my mom and dad? Don't know. But we love you. And we went down and got you. Mm-hmm. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And I was four years old. And the things that wire little kids' brains, trauma. Yeah. Um, every every little kid goes through life one way or another. And that thing just got in my brain. I remember thinking, wow, my mom and dad didn't love me. They dumped me. Mm-hmm. And then when that kid said, don't you know your mistake? And then um, I had bad legs. So yeah. I wore these corrective shoes for years. And I couldn't run with all the kids on the playground which was really a bummer because they put me over in this thing called tetherball. You hit the ball room yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I played tetherball by myself, you know, and if, if I was a good kid, I got to work Chuck Taylor, um, Converse white yeah. by oh, choice, yeah. high tops. And, um, about fifth grade, they say, you know, every Friday, if you've been good all week long, we'll let you wear these things you're going to play. I remember going out and want to play on kickball and stuff. And the teacher would supervise the teams and every pick teams. And I'd be the last one and say, do we have to take him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't like this. This sucks. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't like this. And so I'd run even harder and fall or something. Anyway, then my mom got lupus. Back then there was not a cure for lupus. And so she was a PE major out of UCLA and got her master's out of Wellesley in Boston. And, um, I just, I just remember when my mom got sick with lupus, I'd have to ride my bike after school to the hospital and go in the hospital and look through the ICU windows back then had all the wire mesh and you look through the wires, you know, it's your mom landing. And I, it was just a, it was just like one thing after another. I went from straight A's to straight ups because mm-hmm. my mom was dying and she did die. And then they brought her back to life. She had lupus till she died at 92, 91. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then I was sexually assaulted twice before eighth grade and that was sort of a trip Mm -hmm. and so i just began to drink and i began to drink like in ninth grade because i didn't have any any skills to process any of the stuff that i had sort of been through and so i was i was flunking school and uh getting in trouble and drinking and it was not good because my dad was the judge yes (laughs) so you don't want to have your dad be the judge in town (laughs) And so there was a police chief's kid and there was this lawyer kid and me and the cops could never catch us, but they knew that the three of us were hanging together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we were saying, out of bang, they'll never get us. You know? uh-huh. But when I got into high school, uh, I was raised in Anaheim inland. And then my, my, uh, my grandparents lived at the beach. And so every weekend we spend time at the ocean. So I was raised surfing and boogie boarding and skimboarding. And then I go back inland where there was less drugs and beatniks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, this guy says me, you need to play water polo and swim. And I went and this coach grabbed me, as you've heard the story, and, mm-hmm. and said, Owens, you know, you don't have much going for you because we had all these age group swimmers, like, you know, played Little League Baseball. And then it's hard to start playing baseball and you're, you're sophomore, you're in high school, and yeah. all these kids have been playing at Babe Ruth and yeah. Little League and stuff. Well, same in swimming. And so I did that. And the, and the coach said, but I'm going to teach you that hard work beats better talent. And if you'll do what we say, 
hard work was. And so I embraced that. And here was my new father figure who just came into my life at the right time hmm. and just began to speak into me, which means every kid needs someone to believe in them. Hmm. Every kid needs someone to speak life into them, no matter how screwed up they are. And he'd say to me, now, listen, you got to get your homework done. Got to have a, at least a C average. If you're going to compete, you can't compete on your swim and water polo games unless you have C average. So I'd get a 2.1 just, just to stay in the game. All my sophomore, junior, senior year. But he taught me that I had talent and I wasn't dumb and I wasn't a reject. And there was, there was redeeming qualities in my life. Mm. And I listened to every word, two coaches, Howard Terry and John Urbanchuk. And um, they fathered a whole group of kids. I mean, there was, we never had one father in any of our events because they're all World War II generation out building the world, you know, yeah, rebuilding, yeah. coming home and the greatest generation. So yeah. all we have was women, who should, the mothers that showed up for three years, never saw a man once in any of our games or stuff. Wow. And so these two coaches just stepped in and said, they're going to put your ar their arms around us and say, you kids are going to make it. And um, when they begin to speak those kind of things into me, that, dude, you, you know, you're smart. You're just lazy mm -hmm. and all that stuff. It, it got inside me. And I won't tell that lifeguard story. But mm -hmm. then when I lifeguarded the beach, because uh, all of our guys lifeguarded beaches. Yeah. You know, you, we're close to the ocean. So it pays money. You check chicks out all day and you get surf. So it's, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> you go and you lifeguard and... Um, we had pararescue reservists. We had what was called the 303rd Reserve Unit in Riverside, and they had a pararescue unit there. And we had guys that were college guys that were lifeguards that were also military reservists. And they kept saying to me, you need to come in, dude. I mean, like, you know, you could you could do this. And I said, I don't have it. I mean, I, I still was wired for failure, wired with poor self-worth. I just didn't see it. And then they said, um, if you'll do you do what we say and if you'll go dark and again i've been drinking and partying and yeah. crashing cars i've been in jail already you know but having a great time um they said go dark no chicks no weed no no drinking mm -hmm. no partying just focus and if you'll focus and do the workouts that we tell you um there's more in you than you know mm -hmm. and you can do this mm -hmm. and so as i've said i don't have i didn't have faith in in me but I had faith in their faith in me. Yeah, yeah. And then how many people don't have faith that they can do whatever it is, but they have faith in the one mentor or the one person, the power of one, yeah. who says, you can, you, you can do it. You're yeah. smarter than they say, or you're capable, or whatever. And I latched onto that. And sure enough, I went in. We had 150 in our class. We graduated seven of our original class, 16 about with our rollbacks. Guys had broken down some of the previous classes. And uh, there I was in seven, seven guys, yeah. just six guys, myself one. This is nuts. I mean, why are we here? Where are the good guys? Mm -hmm. But they mentally were not scrappy and they hadn't paid their dues before they came in and they got crushed by the instructors because mm -hmm. the pressure back to the first part, the instructors brought the pressure to see how fragile, mentally fragile, emotionally fragile, these super stud athletes who were trying to be pararescuemen yeah. were. And one of the big things that we talk about a lot is the, the, um, the definition of fragile, fragility, and frail. And 
in essence, it is like putting a, a, a glass china vase or glasses in a box and shaking it. How easily do they break? Because we know that guys are good physically and mentally. Yeah. But when we put them under pressure and we shake their world, mm. where they've never, ever felt this kind of pressure before in their life, do they morph and do something stupid or they just crush, get crushed and quit? And that's the goal of pressure, induced pressure, to see if you're frail mentally, if you're fragile. And what is it that can rock your world where you'll make a mistake? So they induce, whether it's rangers or seals or pararescue, they induce those moments to take you over the edge where you have no clue how to perform, what to do. You've never felt like this before. And then they look you in the eye and they want to see if they see you cracking. Mm -hmm. that if, if your emotions begin to go, oh, my God, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And they'll say to you, we've got to crush you so you can learn that you don't have to be crushed. Mm. That you need to make pain your friend. Yeah. That you need to learn that that hitting the wall is not hitting a wall. It's just hitting a moment. And if you can reboot your brain and cut the negativity, do your neuroplasticity from your training, oh, yeah, I remember. I've been through this before. Mm -hmm. So Olympians find a coach who take them over the edge to a place that what used to crush them no longer crushes them. They're now used to it when they hit yeah. that spot been here before i can do this and they smoke it's, it's bizarre to think that our our u.s marathoner in the london games about mile 23 just stopped and sat on the side of, of the road on on, the, on our curb hmm. and the cameras are going what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> you can't just sit down right this is the olympics yeah. <laughs> and he broke mentally yeah he just broke yeah so it can happen in any way in a marriage or with your kids yep. or with losing your your house or bankruptcies or whatever, how fragile are you? And can you make a comeback or can you stay in the game and reboot? Yeah. And you'd say, you know, where do you get this stuff? Over time, um, you just learn, do you want to cave or do you want to stay in the game? Because it's a choice. And you have to, you have to choose, um, how do I want to do this? I'm feeling overwhelmed again. I'm over the edge. I don't know what to do. And you have a choice of going with your emotions of being emotional or getting a hold of your mind and, and saying to yourself what you need to say and say, I can make it. I can do this. I don't know how this is going to work out. I remember it's an odd story, but during the recession, I lost everything. Hmm. And uh, my two, my $2.5 million house that was an owner build that I'd spent years building which was our retirement they went on the market for seven hundred thousand. wow and and we lost everything hmm. and uh anyway i was i was broke and i remember i was supposed to speak for a guy and i went and spoke for the guy and he didn't pay me and so i got back to lax and i didn't have any, didn't have any money hmm. and i remember um what am i going to do so i kicked the shuttle over to the Marriott hotel at been that stay that hotel many times. I went out and rolled my roller bag out to the corner of the 405 freeway at LAX. And I stood there and hitchhiked, tried to hitchhike for like four hours. And back then, you know, some grown man standing on the side of the road with a with a roller, you know, is he weird? Or yeah. What, what's his deal? What's yeah. a recession? Mm -hmm. And I remember about midnight, 
I just gave up. I didn't have any way to get home. And I, I rolled that roller back to the Marriott Hotel. And I knew the bathrooms there were pretty good. So I found the, the big bathroom with the handicap thing. And I rolled my roller in. And I locked the door behind the handicap stall and put my roller up on top of the toilet. And I got on the floor on that cold floor. And I just hugged that throne. Mm-hmm. And I laid there and tried to go to sleep, hoping that the janitor would not come in and clean it. And I remember about 5 a.m., I hear this rustle, you know, the door opens up and I go, oh my God, and I, I quickly, you know, quietly stand up and pick up my roller and put it on my lap and I sit on the toilet and go, Goosh, like I'm in there, you know, and the guy does some stuff and he leaves. And I went, this would be quite the story if I make this because I'm, I'm hugging the throne at the Marriott Broke, can't get home. Mm-hmm. And I got 4 million miles on American alone, not Southwest and Delta, 4 million miles, 30 nations speaking. I've had money. I've had success. I've had, I've had prestige and honor. And I am a loser sucking around this toilet Hmm. thinking, well, this ought to be interesting. As it turned out, I worked away to get the super shuttle guy to to take me home, even though I didn't have any money. And then I, I got to my bank and took out 75 bucks, gave it to him and he dropped me off back at my house. And the point was, is that um, there are moments in life when you just go, I'm over the edge. I've never been here before. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Uh, and I don't know who to call. And usually you lose your friends in those moments because people like you when you're hot. And people usually don't, I don't want to say they don't like you. They don't care a whole lot to get involved in your stuff when you're not hot. Yeah. Now call me when you get it together. Mm-hmm. and um, you just have to learn that either this moment's too big for you or this moment's not too big for you and if you haven't practiced you can be assured all these moments will be too big for you and it takes daily work to get what we call we tell our young people you go to a physical gym to work out but we want you to have a mind gym where you go work in your mind mm-hmm. and we need you to spend a half an hour a day in meditation, getting control of the thoughts that are in your brain, that monkey gym, and begin to rewire your brain with the thoughts that are going to help you be a success. Otherwise, every day you wake up and say, how do I feel? And I hope I feel it today. <laughs> and if I don't, it's going to be a long day. And you have to just fake it and go through life until you feel it again. You don't want to live by your feelings. Yeah. You want to live by your convictions. You want to yeah. live by your, your, your thoughts that you've said, I'm going to I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to work this through. I can handle this. Blah, blah, blah. So for all the guys, businessmen and stuff listening, life's hell. Yeah. Life can be sweet and life can be miserable and it's hard. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a school, a school of life. Yeah. And you can let it just come on you or you can go at it. And if you, if you work at every day, the life's going to be hard. And then you go work at it. When it's not so hard, it's pretty fun at the end of the day. Yes, right. Like, it didn't rock me today. Yeah. You know? But if every day is supposed to be nice, everybody's supposed to be nice to you, and, you know, everything's going to go great, and then that doesn't happen, oh, it sours your life. You know, like, yeah. I had a tough day today. Yeah. Well, life's supposed to be tough. Embrace the suck. Deal. Yeah. Grow up. <laughs> and every day, if, if you're a Goggins fan, David Goggins fan, Every day, embrace something mentally that you don't want to do mm-hmm. and take yourself on and battle every day 
eating or smoking or drinking or unforgiveness or whatever it is, battle that thing and get a win and it'll harden your mind. Yeah. It'll harden your mind and because you'll get strong. And you once you learn to take your mind on and take yourself on, you stand more upright. Yeah. You feel better because you're battling every day when everybody else is just weak. And whatever happens to hit them, you just watch them implode or collapse. And you don't want to be cocky, but you go, I'm I'm going to take it to the fight versus the fight taking me out every once in a while. Do something every day that you don't want to do. Wrestle with yourself. Deal with yourself. Grow at it. Be miserable. Because life is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. That's why everyone wants a victory, but nobody wants a battle. Exactly. Everybody wants a testimony, but nobody wants a test. Everyone wants to be an overcomer, but they don't want to have to overcome anything. (laughs) And so... You've got to you've got to say I'm gonna I'm gonna charge positively into this life and take it on versus oh my god it's coming at me again it's gonna take me out I'm drowning I'm so glad you brought those last three in there because that as you were talking about that story it did remind me when I heard you say this uh, in a in a previous episode about everybody wanting to become an overcomer they're just not willing to learn to be an overcomer right and then everybody wants that victory but they're very few are willing to do the battle. One thing that I love about what you're doing, and it was kind of this connection for me and why you do all of the races. Why do you do the marathons? Why do you do the triathlons? And you said this, and I'd love to just dive deep into this a little bit more because this is a uh, more of a connection that I, I feel I have with you is the connection of men and that responsibility and the opportunity that you see that when you do these hard things, when you go and do the triathlons and these marathons and these races, you get to meet men where they're at. And by doing that, then you have an opportunity to pour into them. Um, when did you discover that was a purpose for you that you wanted to continue to strive towards in your life? And then not only that, but also fulfill that in your life. When I became a PJ, pararescue guy, um, I met some manly men. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't know manly men, but I met guys that I just went, whoa, that guy's intense. That guy's hot. That guy, how does he do that? I mean, like the other day I'm doing this thing. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm coaching at SEAL Fit, and we're training potential Navy SEAL candidates. We have some Air Force guys and some other guys in there and some ladies there. They all come to test themselves. We have a six-hour nonstop, a 12-hour, 24-hour nonstop, and then the big one's the 50-hour. <laughs> so they had a new instructor this time. So there's five Navy SEAL coaches and me. And um, we're the paid guys to make, to crush kids. <laughs> so <laughs> they bring in a new guy that I've never met before. He flies in. He's this Navy SEAL captain from Washington, D.C. He's been 17 years in. And he doesn't say much. He just walks in. Hi, you guys. How you doing? Good to meet you. You know, he's a friend of Mark Devine, the, the founder of SEAL Fit. And so he's got instant credibility that Mark flies in from Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And, and this guy brings all of his own food for three days in a big tub, in a big cooler. He's pre-cooked it, pre-cut it, pre-packaged it. And he only does keto mm-hmm. and, and with a, a little bit of a paleo thing. And he's got no body fat. And um, when he talks... I get scared. <laughs> I'm like, 
and there's a, there's more than one of those guys in there. You know, they're just sure. really nice guys to talk. And all of a sudden, they kick in that gear, yeah. and it's like, whoa! I'm so glad they didn't do that to me. Yeah. And um, anyway, so he it, it's cold that night. The first night, it's like 44 degrees, and we're keeping these guys in these ice baths, and they're shivering. We're getting them hypothermic, and they're keep them in the mud. We're doing all night PT, and he just disappears. He disappears about two in the morning, and you see him in his car eating his food. And then he puts on his running gear and he just takes off and he does a three hour workout in the dark, running, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups all by himself in the rain. <laughs> and then he comes back and eats another meal, puts his clothes back on, gets ready for a shift. And we all go, you didn't go to bed? No, I had to get my workout in. Why? That's what you do. <laughs> and you go, okay. Yeah. And he, he just severe, just, but he's focused and he, he handles men, you know, he trains mm-hmm. men. He's an officer. He's a leader. He's a role model. And um, when you get around guys like that, then you go back out into bars, you know, at home where you go, you know, to little league games and see parents or you, you know, whatever you're just in society. You, you've been around guys that are um, excellent mm-hmm. and trained. You know, the Bible says, train yourselves to be godly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, Book of Revelation just goes to the overcomer, to the overcomer, to the overcomer, to the overcomer, the churches. You know, you, you see guys that are just head and shoulders, uniquely different. And when you come back out in society, you miss being around them because they inspire you. Yeah. They challenge you. They call you out. Yeah. They call you out. Hey, dude, let's do another workout. Another workout. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, let's do it again. <laughs> I'm tired. Well, so what? Suck it up. Let's go. (laughs) And so you get out and you miss that. And so I've always gravitated to, I want to be around excellent men. I want to be around role model men. I want to be around leader men. I want to be around guys that I go, I want what you have. Mm -hmm. I want, how did you do that? And then you humble yourself and you say, how did you do that? Or how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And once I got, addicted once i got in a place where i wanted to be around the kind of guys that i wanted to be like mm-hmm. not a, i don't want to be a jerk and insensitive and i don't want to be a hardcore stud and be pushy and you know i'm not trying to be some a-hole yeah. you know just look how tough i am i i just want to be the kind of guy that can handle that kind of stuff that these guys handled and did and um that wrecks you for society yeah because you go in a bar and you sit there and there's Oftentimes there's nice guys, but weak or slovenly or inconsiderate or impolite. You know, if you want to meet one of our guys, they're polite, you know, don't mess with them, but they open doors for people still and they pull out chairs for people still. And their manhood is not in any way affected by your thoughts at all. Mm -hmm. And they don't give a rip about what you think because they like the way they think. And they've been trained to be with generals and generals wives and, and other wives and be polite and considerate and know politically what to say, what not to say, and how to, mm-hmm. how to, how to say nice things to people, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. they, they just, they've got the social skills. And that's why they usually get promoted in corporations and stuff later on, because they, they know how to be with the zeros, the homeless, and they know how to be with the generals that are tens mm-hmm. and they can fit in any, any section. And that wrecked me. And so um, I've, I've tried to be around, guys or ladies that do outstanding things 
because they call you up to do outstanding things. Mm -hmm. And they do it by what they say or they do it by the way they, what they don't say. But they just, their, their eminence around you. Like, have you ever been around people that when they walk in the room, the whole room stops talking and they just, the guy walks in? No doubt about it, brother. Yes. And do you know that doesn't happen very often? Right. Yep. And when it does happen, everyone goes, he's here. Mm -hmm. Or and it isn't often because the title is that maybe he's president of the United States and every okay he's here sure but oftentimes it's just the character of who that guy is mm -hmm. yeah and I traveled with a guy for twenty years by the name of Dr. Evan Lewis Cole and he's the guy that gave a, a, a message called Are you a promise keeper or a promise breaker hmm. and out of that came that movement years ago promise keepers oh yeah uh -huh. and he was known as the father of promise keepers. And I watched him at the L.A. Com uh, Coliseum with 100,000 men crammed in speaking. And he just stood there and looked at everybody like he owned the place. Mm -hmm. Other guys tried to speak and preach and be funny, and have great stories. He just looked because it was it was it was him. Yeah. <laughs> 100,000 men was nothing for him to stand there and say, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Mm -hmm. So when you're around those kind of guys that have stature, wisdom, stature, favor, if you if you if you're that, you just go, where do I get that? And, how, and so I spent time trying to put myself in positions to just glean from those kind of guys and just be around them and just watch them. And I started, you know, in my 30s and then I, my 40s and my 50s, my 60s. And I'm getting ready for my 70s, and I'm still looking for those kind of guys to be around. Mm -hmm. And I find them in the military. I find them in sports. I find jewels, and they inspire me. Mm -hmm. So that's well, that's a long-winded question. <laughs> I love the fact that you just threw in a Bible verse there with wisdom, statue, and favor. By the way, so it was a little. I, I don't want to do that. This is not a religious conversation. No, no, but it was. But but, but, it's, but that but was one, important, it's, it's, right? It's Luke. It's Luke two forty. Yeah. Luke two fifty two. Yeah, absolutely, brother. I know. And, I, and I, I love it, man. Well, I say to guys, I say, you know, you're supposed to have wisdom coming on you. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. And then I say, you're supposed to have stature coming on you. You mm -hmm. got any yet? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, does do your kids think you're a hero? You got yeah. any stature with them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then favor. It should be in business that the Rotary or Chamber of Commerce or whatever it is you're doing, the Realty Group or whatever, that when you walk in, there's favor on your life. Yeah. Because people just like you because they like what you are and how you act and what you stand for. And whether you're rich or poor, you're a gentleman mm -hmm. and you're polite and you're kind. And everyone likes to have you around because you're no problem, you're no hassle. And wisdom, stature, and favor uh, with God and man. Yeah. Um, okay, God, that's, I appreciate God, but what about man? <laughs> the people yeah. treat you that way or they go, Oh, he's here again. Yeah. <laughs> or he's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you have a big meal and then you tip the waitress, nothing. Right. And she's a single mom working really hard mm -hmm. and they go, and she goes, Oh no, it's that group again. Yeah. They're going to take up two hours. And they don't give you any money at all. You know, she'll talk, you know, it's that group or they just came from church. They never tip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. They give you a tract or some stupid yeah. thing. And so, you have, you have stature where people go, oh, I'm so glad that he's come or she's come in the room or to the event mm -hmm. or whatever. And that's a rare thing. So I, I have to find places where I'm around guys. I just go, 
I want to be like that. And I want to be around younger people because I always believe that you should have somebody 20 years older in your life that talks to you and speaks to you and helps you. And you should have someone 20 years younger in your life where you're giving it away. Mm-hmm. So you're always learning and you're always giving. Yeah. And therefore, the, the, the teacher in the middle always is, is being stretched and growing. Yeah. So you just, so you just re- uh, released your book. I'd love to know, first of all, uh, I just released mine a couple months ago and it took me two freaking years to do that. Um, I would, how long did it take you to write this book? Cause it is a, it's a big book, man. You got a lot of pages in there, a lot of words. It's amazing from what I've read so far. How long did it take you, uh, to, to write this book? It took me about a year on my iPhone uh-huh. in notes with my thumb sitting <laughs> in the front of my car. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got me, man. So, you're, you're a much wiser man than I am, brother. That is awesome. No, 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 no. That's, if you want to write a book, that's the stupid way to write a book. <laughs> that's the dumb way. That's the novice way. Yeah. That's the inexperienced way. Yeah. People say, why don't you just get on an iPad, you know, and do this or speak it? And yeah. I'd try to speak it, and the thing wouldn't, wouldn't do it right. So right. I'd have to go yeah. back and fix it. So I, But I'd, I'd send it to an English major guy, and I said, clean this up, would you please? Yes. <laughs> and then we went through revision after revision after revision. And he goes, God, will you just stop? Just yeah. publish the stupid thing. Yeah. And so it's a big book and yeah. it's, but I put a lot of pictures in. <laughs> <laughs> what was, so what's the, for you, um, what was the, I mean, just saying, it was, it was way more fun doing the audio book. Yes. I agree. Cause I got to read, the, I'm sitting in this booth, you know, and I'm reading this thing and I just put the book down and start laughing. You know, I say, let me tell you what's not in the book. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> then all this other stuff I ad lib, you know, like, we really hated that guy uh-huh. or this, this really worked or something. You just, Oh, I got to get back in the book. You start reading it again and you go off base. It was really fun. I love it. I'm definitely going to download the audio book, man. I'm looking forward to that. Those extra, uh, those extra pieces of information are always so valuable. So what, what was the inspiration in writing the book? What was it that you wanted the, to, uh, to express to the audience and the people that are, that already know you, that trust you, that like you, but then obviously those that really just, they don't know you. You know, it's funny. I traveled for about 10, 15 years with John Maxwell, the author. Mm-hmm. And he'd always say to me, Robert, where's your book? Mm-hmm. I don't want to write a book. Yeah. You write your books. I'll give him your books. <laughs> and so he said, you have a book inside of you. I said, I don't have an ego need to write some stupid book. All the books I know sit on some shelf full of dust and no one's ever read them. So why would I want to go through all that work? Just have somebody say it's a nice book and put it on a shelf and never read it. Mm-hmm. So finally, though, when I did those five events that got me classified as the uh, fittest mentally toughest 66 year old in the world mm-hmm. which again is, is not true but when that happened and then the national media and people began to call they all said how'd you do that and i thought well you just do it mm-hmm. and they said no you just don't do it people just don't do it and i go well wasn't that hard i mean it's hard but i mean like, and they said well just tell us about it uh-huh. and i thought well, maybe then I, if, I, if there's a book, I'll just tell them about the stuff and why I'm doing this stuff. It was a personal experiment for me to see if I could get strong in my 60s like I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And so I, I picked these five events, four of which I was told I was too old and I shouldn't show up. And so mm-hmm. I just did an experiment to see how I'm going to fade and how we have to fade and this 20X principle. And so I then just began to tell the stories of this is what happened here and this is what happened here and this is what happened here. Pretty soon. It was a book and, mm-hmm. you know, people read it and go, that's a bizarre book. I mean, that's a trip. And I go, well, <laughs> you know, this is, I wanted, I've always been average. 
never won anything, not a stud, not a star, never been first team. But someone told me I could live a life beyond average. Mm-hmm. And I felt average and mediocre. And he said, and there's another guy, there's a guy in here, if you, want, you guys want to have fun, go online and look up on Facebook, Chuck Patterson. Chuck Patterson is an extreme skier and extreme surfer. He lives down here about five miles. Um, he's the kind of guy that made CNN because he was surfing at San Onofre here on his longboard. And this great white came up under his board. And he had his GoPro on his stand-up paddle. Uh-huh. paddle. So he had the GoPro, so he stuck it underwater. And he filmed this great white going underneath his, his board. Oh, my gosh. Well, he got really excited because he ran out of battery or whatever it was. So he paddled in to land, changed the battery or something, came back out to the great white <laughs> <laughs> and filmed it some more. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's, just, he's the guy, he surfs the biggest waves in the world. But uh-huh. he said, I'm, since I'm a snow skier, I'd like to snow ski these waves. So he took a pair of water skis and had them custom made and then put snow ski bindings on them and ski boots and he put them on and he gets dragged towed into these huge waves and he water skis these biggest waves <laughs> in the world that's the only guy in the world that's ever water skied instead of surfing these uh-huh. monsters and he uses ski poles oh right? my gosh so he, he does this thing surfing these waves you know uh-huh. and people are going patterson <laughs> anyway he's a guy who said to me we're on a we're on a plane coming back from hawaii and he said hey robert anybody can live average dude anybody can live average be average don't do average. Mm. Live your life, man. Go for broke. Mm. And I remember just thinking, mm. wow, I just never thought about like anybody just naturally to be average. Yeah. And he said, I don't want to be average. I want to have fun. Don't you? I went, yeah, I want to have fun too. He said, well, then go for it. I went, okay. <laughs> I'll, you gave me permission. I'll go for it. Yeah. And anyway, um, I just wrote the book because I want to encourage people that there's 20 times more potential in them at any age mm-hmm. than they ever thought, but they need someone to bring it out of them. And you can't do it by yourself because you'll quit because mm-hmm. it's just difficult to go beyond your mediocrity or your average and really get into the stuff that you can do. Like the, for me, there's always at least two people inside you. There's the person that you're living every day and you may like the fat stomach or you may not like that. You may like your accomplishments, your house or you know, play basketball and you almost can dunk it. So you may like that person, but there's another person inside you that goes, Ooh, I wish I could do this. Mm-hmm. I wish I could do that. And if only this and that. And so, you know, all old athletes watch games on TV and go, I could have done that. Or I was like that once the wife yawns, you know, but there's this, there's this desire that this other person is released. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to say and find out how much is really in there that I can release that, is not full of poor self-worth or mediocrity or average. And these guys kept saying, it's in there, Robert. Just tap in and focus. And this mm-hmm. this super thing will come out of you. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, over the years, it's not super. It's just, hey, there's a lot more in me and us. And fortunately, I have people that bring it out of me and remind me, you're not old, dude. Just, just do your deal. <laughs> Stay focused. Eat yeah. right. And you can do what people say can't be done. Yeah. And I just go, lot of things this is really fun yeah so that's that's where that all came from i love it buddy well i'll tell you you've got such a magnetic personality um i am so honored and i so appreciate your time today brother uh and you really are inspiring so many people out there and i just love the fact that we get to 
share your message uh, to our people, and, and hopefully it inspires them to do some uh, beyond average things in their life. I know, I, I tell you what, I, had, I will tell you a personal story. Um, probably about four or five years ago, I asked a buddy if he wanted to do a triathlon with me, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and one way or another, things just got lost, right? You, let, you just lose that motivation. Uh, I got into some Spartan races, but after watching your videos, after listening to you, of course, after today, uh, it has been, it, the seed has been planted and, uh, I'm, I'm letting you know, I'm, I'm going to do a triathlon and, uh, it is because of the inspiration that you have uh, set by the way that you live your life and the things that you do to challenge yourself. So thank you for that. It really, it means a lot. Well, I, I'm glad you're encouraged. And again, no one has to do what I'm doing, but you got to find out what you yeah. have a dream yeah. of doing yeah. and then getting, getting a good why yeah. and focusing and then making that happen. And then you can go, man, exactly. it happened. I did it. Absolutely. I feel miserable, but it was great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Pain. Hey, let me, let me just, let me just say this too. For yeah. all those listening, you know, you need to appreciate the podcast for whatever it is. And I'd like you to go ahead and then email or contact Joshua and say, Hey, this is what I got out of that. Hmm. Cause he would like to know what it is you heard. Cause I get these things all the time. I don't remember saying it. People say, Robert, you said this and this is what I did because of what you said, I want you to contact Joshua and say, Hey, listen, this is what I got out of this podcast or this interview. And um, this is how it's affecting me. And it would really encourage him if you would contact him and let him know that. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for that. I most certainly appreciate it. Uh, just out of curiosity, how do, how's the best? What's the best platform for people to follow you on? How do they, how, how do you want them to connect with you? Uh, initially, um, they can go to my website. My website is my name Robert Hamilton Owens.com. So okay. I don't know why my mom gave me the word or the middle name Hamilton, <laughs> but she said I needed some stature as an adopted kid. So <laughs> she she gave me you're going to be a Hamilton anyway. So Robert Hamilton Owens.com. The audio book is listed there. The, the paperback is listed there. There's a couple interviews that people want to watch. You can do that. And there's my, I'll just give you this. My, my email is my name, Robert Owens. Mm -hmm. And it's O-W-E-N-S-S, -S, two S's. I went to get Robert Owens. It was gone. Mm -hmm. So I stuck an extra S on the end. And then for a while with my kids, I had one Robert Owens with three S's. So just sort of made that Owens thing work for me. So it's Robert Owens with two S's at Yahoo. And if you want, my phone number is 949. This is pretty bizarre. Really, most guys don't do this. But I get great phone calls all over the world. 949-542-9600. 949-542-9600. And um, I got a call from Chile the other day. One from Austria. And uh, Australia. I go, hey, did you, you listen to that thing? You know, <laughs> What are you doing, dude? They can tell you a story. And I go, that's bizarre. Yeah. I got friends, you know. Oh, love it, buddy. Thank you so much, man. You're giving of your time, you're giving of your energy, and you most certainly gave of your heart today. So thank you so much. Our audience is definitely better from it, and so am I. So appreciate all that you do, my man. Thanks. Fun to be with you. Fun to meet you. We'll talk to you. Sounds good.